What is the gospel? Um, for me, the gospel is really the story about how Jesus, um, as God's Son, came to earth to rescue us, to really give us the opportunity to know him on a personal level, and to be able to walk in that new level of freedom. Um, and with that comes forgiveness and joy and, and a real joy of life. And you're not bound so much by rules and regulations, but much more about that relationship and just really truly enjoying who he is and what he does for us. The gospel, Greek word that legitimately translates to the good news, it, it is uh, the story of and the truth more of Christ's salvation coming and fulfill him coming to this world fulfilling all of the Old Testament prophecies and providing redemption for all of mankind. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's basically the gospel message in a nutshell. Adam had to admit that the impact of Yeshua on the world was extraordinary. He only ministered on earth for three years and impacted the world for good like no other. Was it supernatural? It would be far too irrational to think it was a coincidence as it can never be replicated. Yet Adam was skeptical about the supernatural events surrounding Yeshua. Yet again, he understood if God was going to do something, then it needed to be supernatural, or else, why would people believe? And how is he the only one to reconcile us to God? Adam needed to know more. More about the Bible, prophecies, and Yeshua's life. Adam was impressed and moved by Yeshua before ever reading the Bible. He had heard about the disputed discrepancies like Bible translations, and copying. But when he did the research himself, he found that the so-called discrepancies made up one billionth of the amount validated. Even other ancient sources supported the Bible's account of creation, the flood destroying the world, and the plagues in Egypt. Even archaeologists and historians use the Bible as a credible source for places, people, and events. Adam was also fascinated by the prophets, like the prophet Isaiah who knew that the earth was round when the world at that time believed it was flat or on some kind of animal. Or Job, he knew that the earth hung on nothing. How? And Ezra, how did he know that the earth 
split apart? Who told him? Or how did Moses know what were good and bad meats to eat when science only confirms it today? But what impressed him the most was how did they know that the physical world was actually made up of the invisible? Adam opened the Bible for the first time without ridicule and wondered what the consequences were for ignoring the prophets. Yeshua explains this through a true story. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. If Moses and the prophets were so important, what did they say about the Messiah? Adam reviewed the reams of prophecies about the Messiah and compared them to Yeshua. He couldn't help but look at the mathematical probability that Yeshua is the fulfillment of these prophecies concerning the Messiah. Adam selected the conservative prophecies and compared Yeshua's life with them. Then he did a conservative calculation on those probabilities. The probability came to 10 to the power of 20 that Yeshua is the Messiah. This means if 0% is impossible, and 50% is like flipping a coin, then Yeshua being the only way is 99.999 18 times percent. Adam didn't gamble, but odds like these weren't a gamble, they were a certainty. He had to remind himself that these were conservative numbers if he added the supernatural events like Yeshua born of a virgin, made the blind men see, raised the dead, and rose from the dead the third day, then it would take the probability to infinite. Now what exactly did the prophets say about Yeshua, the Messiah? Simply put, the Messiah was to suffer and die for the sins of the people, and that the Messiah 
would reign forever. Prophet Isaiah proclaimed, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice, from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The Messiah would be God's only begotten son. Adam also discovered that there was a significant difference between the first man Adam and Yeshua. The first man was called the son of God, but Yeshua is called the only begotten son of God. Also unlike the first man who God created from the ground, Yeshua wasn't created. He is the Word of God. And everything came into being through Him. God took His Word and put Him into a woman named Mary. And His Word became flesh. He was called Yeshua, God saves. And He is also known as Emmanuel, God is with us. This is what the Word said concerning himself. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. God affirms the Messiah as Lord. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. So who is this Yeshua? Adam summarized Yeshua's life as follows. Yeshua was born in Bethlehem to a virgin called Mary. His stepfather was Joseph. An angel told Joseph that Herod intended to seek this young child to kill him. So they hid in Egypt for a few years. After Herod's death, they returned to the city of Nazareth in the province of Galilee, north of Judea. This is where he spent much of his life as a craftsman believed to have specialized in farming equipment. 
At the age of about 30 years old, he was baptized by John the Baptizer. After John baptized him, Holy Spirit came upon him and led him immediately into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. When Yeshua came out victorious, he started his ministry to the children of Israel. He came proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Previously the kingdom was out of their reach, but now it was available at his hand. John the Baptizer, the first century prophet known as the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, came declaring, The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now because the Jewish leaders rejected Yeshua, Yeshua foretold of their destruction. The temple and Jerusalem will be destroyed within their generation. It happened, 40 years later, and the temple hasn't been built since. Yeshua made statements that no other did and backed it up with supernatural signs. That's why thousands and thousands followed him. Like multiplying the five loaves and the two fish, he fed over 5,000 people until they were full. He made the lame walk, and the deformed he reformed. He made the blind see, and the mute speak. He cast out demons with a word, and he raised the dead. Yeshua didn't leave another option to remove sin. He provided an ultimatum. Yeshua declared, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. As Adam pondered on this, he thought, Yeshua is either who he said he is, or he is a liar. Yeshua didn't leave the option open for being just a good prophet or a good teacher. In less than three years, everyone was talking about him. The elders were jealous and tried everything in their power to reduce his prominence, including lying to the people about him. They eventually convinced one of his disciples, Judas, to deliver him to them without the crowd being there. He did, for 30 pieces of silver. The Jewish leaders handed him over to the Romans. The crime for which he was accused was that he claimed himself king, therefore directly opposing Caesar. Yeshua could have escaped, but he allowed himself to be beaten until he was unrecognizable. Yeshua allowed this to happen to him to fulfill scripture. He died on the cross, and on the third day rose to life in a physical body. Then for 40 days he appeared to his disciples and about 500 other witnesses. At the end, he rose to heaven in front of many. Now those disciples who previously ran because of the persecution gladly gave their lives telling the people that he is the only one to get rid of their sins and the only one who can reconcile them to God for eternity. There is no other way. No other way? 
as Adam pondered on this, he thought about the exclusivity and about those who had never heard of Yeshua, like those in the Kalahari. What about them? Are they doomed forever? At that very moment, he was reminded of an African safari he went on, where a black mamba fell off a branch into their jeep and bit three of his colleagues. After removing the snake, Adam offered his antidote. He knew it worked because it came from a reputable, reliable company. The first colleague rejected it outright because he believed his own antidote worked better. He died a couple of hours later. The second didn't believe he was bitten, and when the pain kicked in, he believed his own antibodies would destroy it. He died. Adam had tried everything in his power to convince them, including begging. They all refused. They trusted in their own way until the very end. The third was rushed off to the hospital before even hearing about Adam's antidote and died in transit. Upon returning home, the family members of those who died blamed Adam for their deaths. Was the antidote any less effective because they rejected it or didn't know about it? Similarly, Adam understood that the whole world has been bitten by the serpent of sin and all humanity needs the antidote. Yeshua is the only antidote to save mankind from their sin and reconcile them to God. There is no other way. As Adam sat in silent darkness, he had questions. He knew if he asked the question, why doesn't God show himself physically? The answer would be, he already has through Yeshua. Why don't you believe? If Adam said, I'm a good person so I should go to heaven, he knew that compared to God's minimum standards, the Ten Commandments, Adam was bad. He had broken every one of them countless times and no way to repay. And God's standard through the Messiah was much, much higher. If Adam asked the question, why doesn't God just get rid of everyone's sin? The answer would be, he already has for those who surrender to Yeshua. Could God have made it any more easier? Isn't the simplicity showing the goodness of God and your rejection showing your pride, your rebellion? Therefore, the good news of the kingdom of God in one sentence is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. To elaborate, if Adam surrendered his life to Yeshua, Yeshua's blood would pay for Adam's sin. Yeshua's suffering would cancel the curse on Adam's life, so that Adam doesn't receive the wrath of God, but his favor. Yeshua's death would pay for Adam's separation from God. Yeshua's resurrection would pay for Adam's reconciliation to God. Yeshua would send Holy Spirit to enable Adam to know God personally, to live righteously, and empower Adam to share Yeshua with others. The choice now was Adam's. Just like Kamal, it was a choice. 
48% of the Muslim in the United States of America believe that they are Muslim first, they are American second. Our purpose is to change this culture because they're infidel and what they're doing is not pleasing to Allah and we are the soldier of Allah who will make them do it. Kamal Salim was born in Lebanon to a devout Muslim family. As early as four years old, he remembers sitting at the kitchen table while his mother taught him about the Quran and his duty to Allah and Jihad. From my childhood, my mom said, one day you'll be a martyr, my son. You will die for the sake of Allah and you will exalt Islam. She said, if you kill a Jew, my son, but your hand will light up before the throne of Allah and the host of heaven will celebrate what you have done. Kamal was seven when his parents sent him to Muslim training camps to learn to use weapons and engage and kill the enemy. The boys were also taught another, more subtle form of warfare. We were training for what's called culture jihad, which is shifting cultures. Culture jihad is, it's unlike the sword, unlike the rifle, it is the jihad that will come into your world. By his 20s, Kamal was chosen to wage cultural jihad on America. In Islam, uh, liberty, freedom, monarchy, all these are idols and these must be brought down. So the liberty that you have in the United States of America, it's, it's anti-Islam, you know, so America must be changed. So I moved to the Bible Belt specifically. The Bible Belt was the strongest of strongest. That's where the, uh, the stout Christians are. And I want to take on the best of the best because I considered myself as, as a sword of Islam. I thought I'm anointed, I'm unique, I'm selected. I'm coming to a country and a culture to change it, and I have the power of Allah with me. In the early 1980s, Kamal entrenched himself in a small Midwestern town. He began targeting men from poor neighborhoods to recruit them to the Muslim faith. But one afternoon, his life would be in the hands of those he hated the most. I was going from one place to another to do a recruitment, and that day I had a car wreck. The car wreck was so severe, I ejected out of my car, landed on my neck, broke my neck in two places. This man came running to me, and he said, don't worry, we're going to take care of you, and everything's going to be all right. The ambulance came and picked me up. And now I go to the hospital, the orthopedic surgeon in the emergency room looked at my chart and he just said, son, we are going to take care of you and everything's going to be all right. The second day I wake up in the hospital and this uh, physical therapy, head of physical therapy come and read my chart and he turned around and he said the same thing word for word, we are going to take care of you. At first, Kamal was frightened by their words because these men were all Christians. You see, in terrorism, if they said we're going to take care of you, You'd better run. Surgeries to repair Kamal's broken neck were successful, but recovery would take weeks. After being discharged from the hospital, he would need someone to care for him while he recuperated. Kamal had no one. So the orthopedic surgeon opened up his own home to this stranger. In his home, they put me in the choicest room, in the most beautiful thing. I became like part of their family. They didn't see me any different. And now they have a basket set for Kamal. They put in money to free my bills from the hospital. Kamal was overwhelmed with the outpouring of Christian love. As he recovered, he began to help out around the house with cooking and cleaning. They have Jewish friends, they came from Israel, that they support, you know. And now I'm hugging Israelis and I'm cooking for Jews. I go, what has happened to me? When Kamal was able to take care of himself and return to his apartment, 
the doctor had another surprise for him. He said, this is the keys to the house, and here's an extra key. This is your new car. We just want to bless you. You can come anytime you want. So I go to my home, and I go to my cold place that I haven't been there in months, and dust is this thick. And I just got to settle this issue with my God to know that if, if it's real or not. So I walk inside, I shut the door, I go right in the eastern window and I fall on my knees and I put my hands to the heavens and I cry up to my God. Allah, Allah my Lord and my King, why have you done such a thing to me? I'm okay with the, with the car wreck. I'm okay with all this, but why did you put me among Christians? I'm confused. These Christian and Jews, they are, they're good people. There's nothing wrong with them. They don't want to kill us. They're not the same thing that I learned about them. Allah, these people have relationship with their God. These people, they cry out to the God and they answer them. I want to hear your voice. I want to hear you love me. If you're real, speak to me. I want to hear your voice. Just guess what Allah said that day? Absolutely nothing. Kamal felt that because he questioned his faith, the honorable thing to do was to end his own life. So I went to reach out my guns and put it in the right place and clock out. I heard the voice. The voice knew me by name. He said, come on, come on, come on. Why don't you call on God of Father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? And now I fell on my knees and I put my hands to the heavens immediately as I heard the voice and I cried out with every fiber within me. God, the Father Abraham, if you are real, would you speak to me? God, the Father Abraham, if you are real, I want to know you. Well, God, the Father Abraham came to a room and he filled the room with his glory and his name was Yahweh. The Lord is one. In his hand, he has holes in his hand. He has holes in his feet. His name is Jesus. I said to him, who are you, my Lord? Who are you? He said, I am that I am. I said, I'm a simple man with a simple mind. What is that supposed to mean? He said, I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. I am everything that is in between. I have known you before I formed the foundation of the earth. I have loved you before I formed you in your mother womb. Rise up. Rise up, come on. Kum. You are my warrior. You are not their warrior. And I said to him, I said, my Lord, my Lord, I will live and die for you. He said, do not die for me. I died for you that you may live. That day, instead of taking his life, Kamal gave it to Jesus. He now has a new mission and travels the country challenging Muslims to question their allegiance to Allah. My heart desire is to reach out for my brothers and sisters, the Muslim out there 1.5 billion Muslim that they are living out there and they have not tasted the freedom and that freedom in God. It's been over 20 years since Kamal left the Islamic faith and even threats of violence and death cannot stop him from sharing his story. He is real. You know, and if you never experienced God before in your life, if you never tasted God and if you think you got nothing to lose, when, when you're sitting in your home, whether you're a Muslim or, or a non-Muslim or a non-Christian or whatever you are, say, 
Call on God of Father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and say, if you are real, speak to me. I want to hear your voice. Yeshua declared, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Adam dropped to his knees, this time to surrender his life to Yeshua. Do you?